0: Revolution
1: The Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who will be tuning into the virtual UN Food Systems Summit, and that's going to be held on September 23rd. And there is a, a wonderful growing awareness of the power of indigenous foods to create global food systems transformation and to achieve sustainability um, for us today and to, and and tomorrow. My guest today has traveled to 80 countries and learned uh, cooking. For from her grandmother in Guatemala. Amalia is an award-winning author of Amalia's Guatemalan Kitchen and she's also has a new book out, The Mesoamerican Table. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio.
0: Thank you for having me, Laura. Thank you for being here. So tell me about your grandmother. My grandmother has been my star, my North star, the center of my culinary universe, my mentor, my master chef, and the person that Continues to illuminate me today from heaven. Mm-hmm. She's the one that I learned what I know today about healthy eating, healthy cooking, and inspiring my family, inspiring my people to eat healthier.
1: And so you have quite the background. Tell me about your your first book, um, won several awards. So tell me about your first book.
0: Yes. So my book, Amalia's Guatemalan Kitchen, uh, Gourmet Cuisine uh, with a Cultural Flair, is uh, my first book, which has uh, won uh, nine international awards, including the uh, Gourmand uh, Award from uh, Paris, uh, France for Best uh, Foreign Cuisine Book uh, USA. It has 170 uh, recipes, uh, traditional recipes from Guatemala, all uh, healthy and uh, based on uh, the culture of uh, corn, beans, and squash and a variety of vegetables that are native uh, to the region. But it also contains history. It contains uh, culture and cultural tidbits behind every recipe, as well as anecdotal information behind every recipe. These recipes um, are from the entire country, a representative of Guatemalan cuisine. And Guatemalan cuisine is by, based on an ancient uh, civilization, the Mayan civilization, which contains 22 uh, different tribes uh, within that umbrella, in addition to the Zin- Zinca, um, natives and also the Garifuna in the Caribbean region.
1: I didn't know that. So 22 different tribes? I mean, it's – we don't in, – in, I am I, actually almost sometimes ashamed of how little I know about um, food around the world. Um, but um, – so tell us, how did you first start learning about um, the food of your
0: ancestors? I started through my grandmother. She inspired me uh, to to cook more, to learn more. I used to go with her to the to the markets, but we lived in this um, area that is uh, surrounded by all this uh, indigenous uh, richness and culture, and who can ignore that? So for me, it was a, a natural environment to learn uh, more about the. Mayan civilization and the connection to food and the meaning of food to them because it's revered. Growing corn is revered in, in the land um, and their foods. And this culture is uh, very dear and near, very near and dear to, to my heart because it is very extensive, it's important for Guatemala. Guatemala is a multicultural country. And it, it's also a multilingual uh, country because these different ethnicities all have their own idioms, their own languages, uh, which are many of, of which are still alive today.
1: So tell me some of the typical foods you'd, your grandmother would prepare for you.
0: My grandmother lived in an area. That is closest to the border uh, with El Salvador, on the uh, south uh, eastern part of uh, Guatemala, and in that area there was the uh, not only the Cinca but also the Chorti um, Mayan tribe, and the food is uh, based on what grows there locally because, as like in every country, there is country, there are foods available by, by region that are native by region. And so my grandmother prepared uh, many of the dishes that are traditional to the to the region, based on the what grows in what grows grows in the land regionally. Mm-hmm. For example, there was a chicken dish uh, with uh, cream, and it had lorocos, uh, which is a, a a flower bud that is uh, native to Guatemala and uh, the surrounding region of uh, El Salvador and, and so on. But there were also different kinds of tamales, you know, as, as the culture of corn and beans. Uh, there were some tamales that were beans and corn. Um, there were also uh, what we called empanadas, uh, what is uh, pupusas to Salvadorians, uh, stuffed um, patties uh, of uh, corn dough, with uh, a variety of fillings, from cheese to uh, squash flours to to beans, to uh, roasted pork, and and so on. And then there were other um, dishes that uh, she also made um, that were uh, traditional in in, in nature. That had to do with turkey, and also she made drinks at at home, atoles, for example, for us, because she always wanted uh, me and my siblings to eat healthy foods. She didn't want us to eat because she said that we could get sick.
1: Mm Mm-hmm and so um so, so uh um, th- these two books are both very very beautiful books now let's Thank you. so the first what is mesoamerican what, what does meso mean
0: mesoamerica is uh, a term coined uh by a uh Mexican a german anthropologist um Paul Kirchhoff, to um include the area that goes from south-central Mexico all the way, a specific area uh, of Costa Rica. And Mesoamerica also means Middle America. And Mesoamerica is important because um, it is a center of agriculture. It is also a center of a very ancient uh, civilizations. Um, the modern civilization is the Olmec, and then there were the Aztecs and, and the Mayas. But little is known about the Central America region, which is part of Mesoamerica, that also had uh, ancient civilizations. And that is one of the reasons why I am writing this book and why I want to bring it uh, to life. And also because the cuisines of this area are little known outside other countries of origin, and they are interconnected.
1: Okay, so um, this area, the foods of this area are not well-known.
0: Correct. They are well, not well-known outside of their uh, countries of origin. Mm-hmm. We have commonalities in uh, staple ingredients, corn, beans, and squash, tomatoes, tomatillos, chila peppers. All these ingredients are native uh, to the region of Mesoamerica. Mesoamerica has about 104 uh, native um, edible plants, and about half of those are at the heart of Mesoamerica, which is Guatemala. This is the center of origin of corn, beans, and squash, and from there, corn spread to the rest of the world.
1: Yeah, so corn, this is the birthplace of corn, and it spread through, through the world. And what what is the meaning of corn?
0: Corn is... Uh, our staple uh, grain, we are the culture of corn. We eat corn every day in so many different ways. We make tortillas. That is the equivalent of our bread, daily bread. We also make tamales. That is a whole meal that depending on how large they are and the, con- the ingredients they contain, uh, it can constitute a meal. And in terms of the sauces that are part of tamales and the uh, proteins uh, that, that they may contain, uh, this can be uh, a well balanced meal.
1: So, if someone wanted to sort of mimic that or bring that to contemporary living, um, what kind of ingredients would they buy? Would they go buy cornmeal? Would they buy corn in the cobs and cut the corn off? I mean, can we make, how can we be preparing things with?
0: Good question. There are different uh, types and varieties of corn, and they're used for different purposes. So there is a specific uh, type of corn that is used for tortillas and tamales, for example. And then there is a uh, different kind of corn that is used for drinks and atoles and different kinds of other, other different kinds of uh, foods in the United States. Uh, for convenience, uh, people resort to maseka, which is a corn flour uh, that comes from uh, masa. It starts at, in the original way, which is the mature maize, which is corn that is cooked in uh, in lime um, or cal, and then the um, the whole is uh, removed, and then it's ground, and that is masa at its most natural state. I have this recipe in my book, if people want to prepare masa from scratch. Mm -hmm. But for convenience, again, people often use um, masa harina, which is the corn flour.
1: And where Uh, is that corn flour available? It's uh,
0: available in uh, any mainstream uh, grocery store in the United States.
1: Okay. And so, uh, share that recipe for how people. Um, so, if people wanted to prepare uh, masa from scratch, how would they do that?
0: They buy the appropriate corn, which is maize, which is my ma- ma- mature maize, dry corn, and then they buy the cal, uh, which is a a uh, a natural um, agent uh, that comes from the ground, and then that combined with water, you boil it. Um, Depending on the quantity of determined uh, period of time, it could be half hour, it could be an hour. And basically, you want to loosen uh, the skin, uh, the other layer of the corn, and to, to remove it so that you are able to grind the, uh, the, the corn, um, what, what is left after removing uh, the, the skin. You use a very good mill. If you have one at home, most people Mm -hmm. perhaps may not have one at home, Mm -hmm. but if they have it, this is the way they they can make masa. And there is a big difference, um, I would say, night and day difference between a fresh uh, made corn tortilla and a um, processed corn tortilla, like anything else. Like anything else. When you make a fresh meal at home, Uh, It's going to be very different from a highly processed uh, meal that you buy elsewhere.
1: And um, so we're going to need to take a break, and uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk more about Guatemalan and Mesoamerica cooking. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking with Amelia, um, uh, who's got a new cookbook out, and um, this new cookbook will uh, launch on October 7th. So uh, uh, talk to to us a little bit about your launch event.
0: Yes, uh, my launch event is going to be at Fuel Collective in uh, the Grain Exchange Building in downtown Minneapolis on October 7th from 6 to 8.30 p.m., and it is uh, a free event, but people must register by October 4th. There will be um, $6 uh, parking um, vouchers available for those uh, who attend, and uh, it's going to be a fiesta. It's, it's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a big party. We're going to have uh, uh, live music, um uh, Diana Pierce uh, is going to be emceeing and uh, there will be food, there will be drink, there will be a book presentation, cooking demonstration, as well as a book signing. So everyone is invited. And I encourage you to go to Amalia That is my website. Uh, go to the events page. And uh, the event is listed there, so please and register. And
1: that is spelled A M A L I A. Correct. And um, and then you can find out more about because that sounds really exciting. And I was just, would your grandmother be happy to be to see that event?
0: I think she's here in spirit, uh-huh. and she would be delighted to be there. Yeah. But I always feel that she is very close to me.
1: And so you. And the last time you're saying one of the reasons that you wrote this book is because the cuisine of Mesoamerica is not really well understood in the world. And so, what what do you think people would, would benefit? How would people benefit? What, what could people benefit by knowing something about this cuisine?
0: The cuisine is very deep. It's very extensive. And it's very varied. It's very colorful. It's full of vegetables, a variety of vegetables that are native to the uh, region that people may not be aware of. But it's also full of legumes and, uh, and grains and herbs and spices and natural, it's natural food. It's delicious. Uh, it can be spicy or uh, in regions, uh, or it can be very mild in other regions. And the cuisine is very adaptable to many eating styles. Uh, many of the dishes are naturally vegan. Others are vegetarian, uh, while others uh, can be adapted to uh, vegetarian or vegan by making a few substitutions. And, and, and a lot
1: of are gluten-free as well.
0: And, uh a lot of it is naturally gluten-free because uh we are the culture of corn so there is a lot of corn in our in our food but because there are a lot of fruits and vegetables so gluten came later that was uh that was an import
1: yeah and the, yeah and then uh, uh, also um in terms of sustainability i mean um legumes um Actually, um, are great for the soil. Legumes. If you plant legumes, that can actually um, um, uh, they provide sort of a natural. um, They naturally uh, make healthy soil.
0: Absolutely, and that is the the concept of the milpa is is uh, tied to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Corn, beans, and squash grow together uh, for that reason uh, because it uh, it's a complementary uh, trio of of plants uh, that. Wisely, not only they they provide a balanced meal, provide balanced nutrition, but in the field they also support each other, and in terms of, of, mm-hmm. of growth, providing different uh, um, capabilities uh, for for. Uh, healthy soil and healthy growth of the plants.
1: And healthy of our gut. So, I mean, our gut is connected to the soil. I mean, there, there's a lot of interesting new information coming down about uh, micro. Microchrom- how healthy soil, I mean, uh, it, it, is, it is so important to know where our food comes from in the soil. It's not just a simple transactional thing of calories. It's so much more complex than that. And some of these ancient traditions sort of intuitively understood that complexity.
0: Yes, and they... Um, Health of our uh, gut, our stomachs, is also uh, deeply connected to eating a large amount of uh, vegetables, uh, many of which act as, uh, if you will, little brushes uh, within our stomachs are are completely very good for our uh, digestion. And so they contain natural fiber. And and this is uh, beneficial not only from that standpoint, but also it's it's filling. So when you eat these vegetables, um, you feel full, you feel satisfied, and um, it, the food is lowering calories uh, as a result.
1: Right. I was also hearing someone speak that um, even before COVID, um, our lifespans were going down in the United States. And some people um, claim that that is probably a result of an unhealthy American diet. Some call it the standard American diet or SAD um, because we're eating so much sugar. Now, is there that much processed sugar in in Mesoamerican
0: foods? In the last uh, 60, 70 years, uh, there's been a a study uh, that uh, this uh, healthy eating uh, diets and sustainability and regenerative farming has been uh, in in decline, in part due to uh, the pervasive uh, amount of uh, processed, highly processed foods and convenient and also uh, very inexpensive foods. And not because there is a lack of education out there, because there is a great deal of information out there about what constitutes a healthy meal and what what doesn't. But these unhealthy foods are also higher in calories because um, many of them contain uh, large amounts of fat and anything that has... um, Fat has three times uh, the calories of a a, a non-fatty food, but also they contain large large amounts of sugar, which are uh, also not beneficial for for our waste because they turn into fat.
1: Right. And so we're talking about healthy and sustainable food, um, Mesoamerican food uh, with... Amelias, and she has a new book out, the Meso Meso American Table. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM nine fifty. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. We're uh, talking to Amala um, and about her newest book, uh, Mesoamerican Table. Um, her first book was Amala's Guatemalan Kitchen. And um, you're going to have a big event on October 7th, which is free. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that event.
0: Yes, this is uh, going to be my book uh, launch event Um on October 7th from 6 to 8.30 p.m. at Fuel Collective, uh, which is in the Grain Exchange building in downtown Minneapolis. Admission is free, but you must register by October 4th. And to register, please go to amaliallc.com and go uh, to events. Awesome.
1: Let's talk about some of the ingredients. So how are legumes um, used?
0: Well, uh, legumes uh, are a staple uh, in our in our diet. Uh, beans are a legume, and they are um, high in iron and uh, and high in, in protein. Um, and when you combine them with corn and um, rice, uh, they constitute a complete uh, protein. So legumes are important, just as uh, corn is, uh, because. Um, Oftentimes, when you go to the countryside, uh, you will see that a basic uh, indigenous meal almost always constitutes uh, black beans, and this is in Guatemala, Um, and also some form of corn, whether it's a small tamal, which uh, functions uh, in place of bread, or it's a freshly made corn tortilla. And uh, oftentimes... Um, it's white beans uh, or any beans that are uh, native uh, to the region because there is a, a large variety of of beans um, within uh, the Mesoamerica region, different sizes, uh, different colors, um, different uh, creaminess uh, level. They are all delicious. And there, there's a myriad of preparations uh, for beans. And they take on any flavor. You can combine them with, with leaves. Um, you can combine them with, uh, and, and I mean leafy greens. You can combine them with uh, herbs and uh, proteins and vegetables and you name it.
1: And so, uh, and one of the... Um, Most affordable ways to eat healthy is to learn how to cook with beans. Now, how do you first prepare your
0: beans? And there is a basic recipe in my book uh, for many uh, beans recipes. But uh, beans can be very easy to make and also very inexpensive uh, because – they grow at least three to four times, or, or depending on the type of beans, uh, even uh, even five times uh, their volume. Uh, so they are an inexpensive, affordable, highly nutritious meal, and they can be cooked in a variety of ways. Uh, some people like to soak them overnight. Um, growing up in Guatemala and um, having been throughout the Mesoamerica region, uh, that is not a common practice. No, it's not. Uh, basically, you know, people uh, will cook uh, beans uh, in a pot uh, with five times the amount of water. Uh, they throw in an onion, whole onion, and a whole head of garlic, and this is in, in, in Guatemala. I remember my mother used to do that. Uh, you know, that's what you do all the time. And then, uh, you put it on the stovetop at, uh, low flame and you let, let them be for good, uh, you know, three to, to four hours, um, depending on the amount of beans. And, and that's, uh, a basic, uh, preparation of beans. And then from then on, she, uh, made different, uh, Dishes from that basic preparation, sometimes uh, she sauteed the beans uh, with uh, sofrito, which is uh, onion and garlic, and, and sometimes she added bell peppers, and sometimes she added roasted pumpkin seeds uh, ground up. And sometimes she added small pieces of, uh, you know, pork or sausage and so on. But they're also ground up into a paste and made into refried beans uh, in in parts of Mesoamerica. And they're also made into soups. uh, They're made into stews. So beans are really, really important, just as corn. And uh, squash.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I make them, I often do the same thing as your grandmother did. You you make you might make it, you use it first for some um, nachos, even, and then the next day you make a soup out of it, and then the next day you maybe even make a casserole. So you so you can save time and energy by reusing that. So how often um, would your mom make or
0: your grandmother make beans um, every day or every week? Because uh, beans are such a staple food. Oftentimes, uh, when they made beans, uh, they made uh, a pound or two of beans. That would last for the entire week. Mm-hmm. And uh, beans are very versatile. You can freeze them. I do that in my home all the time because I crave beans. But we're talking about legumes, Uh we go beyond beans, mm-hmm. uh, we also eat peas and uh, and as a result of uh, colonization, we also have imported uh, legumes uh, so you know there are other kinds of uh, legumes uh, that are consumed in Guatemala and the Mesoamerica region, but this is uh, a result of the um, cultural exchange
1: the cult- theres so lentils and and you have some great recipes in here for
0: lentils and that came to Mesoamerica and to the rest of Latin America through uh, through Spain. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, squash and sweet potatoes.
0: Let's talk a little bit about those ingredients. Squash is another staple. And there are a variety of uh, squash that you don't see here in the United States. Uh, there are soft uh, skin squashes and there are hard skin squashes. And here in the States, they are categorized as uh, summer squashes, or uh, even spring squashes, I believe, and then also as winter squashes. So using that premise for comparison, we have a great variety of squashes that are soft skin, and dark skin that are used in a variety of preparations. The soft skin squashes are used in soups, are are used as a base for soups, and also are used uh, as the side dish, as the vegetable dish on uh, on the plate. Very simple preparations. It can be a a quick saute with a little bit of uh, oil and onions and uh, just uh, garnish with a little bit of cilantro, or they can be an add-on onto rice or another dish.
1: Okay, and now I turn to some fermented spice fruit brews. That sounds so awesome! What are uh, what are fermented spice fruit brew?
0: Uh, yes, so uh, I believe you're looking at a drink called Suchiles, uh, which is a uh, preparation in Guatemala that contains um, a variety of uh, of fruits, uh, including uh, tamarind and uh, including jocote, which is a native uh, fruit but it also has uh, panela which is uh, a raw sugar uh lo- loaf uh that is aged in a um A clay pot uh, with plenty of water for three to four days until it ferments. So it's a fermented fruit brew that is absolutely delicious. It's a traditional drink in Guatemala, and it's uh, usually uh, very popular around the Holy Week season. But there are families um, and stores um, and restaurants who make it uh, year-long, but you have to really search for it if it's not in season. (laughs)
1: Um, So one of the other reasons you um, wrote these books is to just really unearth this um, tremendous historical wealth.
0: Absolutely. Little is is, uh, known of the culinary... Wealth. Uh, There's a lot that has been written about Mesoamerica from an anthropology and archaeology um, angle, but little has been written from a a culinary standpoint and from a strategic um, angle uh, in terms of the culinary importance of this uh, center of origin. And... uh, center of uh, great civilizations uh, that left a uh, great legacy still alive today. Yeah, still alive. Um,
1: so um, talk a little bit about soups. Are soups
0: important? Soups are absolutely important, soups and stews, uh, because they can constitute a whole meal. So the soup that you're looking at right now is a sancocho panameño. It is a Panamanian mm-hmm. uh, chicken soup in this case, and it contains um, a wide variety of tubers, uh, which are uh, cousins of uh, the potato. And the tubers are native to uh, the Mesoamerica region. Uh, There is uh, potatoes, but there is also uh, yucca. And there's yame, which is a yam, and there are other um, tubers. uh, Which
1: which is one of the problems right now with the Americans, the SAD, the standard American diet is we almost eat just one of each kind. I mean people – instead of a wide, diverse types of food, which is common in – Mesoamerican culture?
0: There is a picture in my book uh, and it it occupies both uh, uh, pages because it's a picture of a a large market uh, just to illustrate the richness of uh, fruits and vegetables and the richness on the indigenous markets in in Guatemala in the Chichicastenango area. And here you will see a a great variety of of different tubers, a great variety of different uh, kinds of tomatoes, uh, uh, squashes, and so on. Uh, but it's a, it's a feast for, for the eyes, a feast for chefs like me, mm-hmm. uh, who um, overjoy by looking at the beautiful vine-ripened or tree-ripened vegetables and fruits, which taste much better than um, vegetables that have been forced uh, to, to grow.
1: I love the way you said that the vegetables are forced to grow. You know, um, tell us a little bit more about your background, your, your entire bio, because it's really quite impressive. You won so many awards. I mean, it's, it's amazing how many awards you've won and travel over 80 countries, but tell me a little bit about your background.
0: I was born and raised in, in Guatemala City, and I had a first career here in the States, uh, before I became a full-time entrepreneur. I was in international bank, in international banking. And this is where I formed a very strong business core. Uh, After uh, almost 20 years, I left uh, international banking behind to uh, raise my son uh, and also went back to school. I went to Le Cordon Bleu to take my uh, cooking passion uh, to a professional level. And uh, in the process of raising my son and uh, working full time, um, I, I I went to um, also to graduate school, and I started my business eventually uh, as a result of uh, teaching classes. I started meeting people and. Uh, I eventually wrote my first book, and then uh, now I have a, a second book uh, that I am about to, to launch. And, and we're going to be
1: talking more about that when we return. You're going to have your launch event on October 7th. We're talking with Amelia um, uh, with uh, her newest book, uh, Mesoamerican Table. Hey Jude,
0: don't make it bad. Take a sad song.
1: Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nurse the seeds of change. We're talking with Amelia, um, who has a new book out, uh, Mesoamerican Table. Also, she will have a book launching event on October 7th. And you can get more information about that by going to your website. And that is spelled A-M-A-L-I-A.
0: LLC.com. LLC, And go to com. the events page.
1: Great. Now, also, you've done a lot of philanthropy work. Um, So tell us a little bit about that community service piece.
0: Philanthropy and community work has been a natural uh, thing for me here in Minnesota, as this is a very highly philanthropic uh, state. And it's uh, sort of like we found each other. (laughs) As a result of what I do, food fits everywhere. So I fit uh, in corporate settings as well as I fit in nonprofit settings. So I started uh, supporting um, many causes uh, uh, since I uh, came to Minnesota. I've been in Minnesota for 20 years, and I have worked in this um space for, for, for that many years and supporting uh, these organizations pretty much since I started my, my second career as a chef entrepreneur.
1: And so you helped found uh, Women's Entrepreneurs of Minnesota.
0: Yes. Uh, also, as part of my community work, uh, I am co-founder and uh, chief board advisor of uh, Women Entrepreneurs of Minnesota. Which is a five hundred one c six nonprofit fostering women entrepreneurship through leadership uh, education and and mentoring,
1: and Latino Economic Development Center, Open Arms, Nambo, um, a lot of a lot of different organizations that you've been active in. Where is this connection between entrepreneurship, food, and historical richness?
0: I think that for me, they all fit together in my head (laughs) because of my uh, prior career in international banking. I have a strong business core, and that's where I started serving on boards. And that stayed with me, and I carried that into my entrepreneurship uh, environment. And then uh, the rest uh, for me makes sense because – I am into such a rich environment where there are so many Fortune 500 companies here in the Twin Cities, and I have worked with many of them. And uh right now it's Hispanic Heritage Month. I do a lot of cultural events around – um Hispanic Heritage Month, and and that has become uh, my specialty. I've been doing this for good fifteen years, and I love love doing that kind of work because it allows me to uh, reach people on a deeper level, educate educating about culture, uh, food, good eating, uh, cultural understanding, and even fostering uh, DEI. At the same time, because DEI, what is- DEI, diversity, equity, and influ- inclusion. Because food brings people together, and 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 food fits everywhere. As as I said, food is a common denominator. You can use food as a platform to discuss any just about any topic. And
1: uh, in this idea of uh, again, I, I love this phrase, "historical wealth," because. We almost are living in, in, a, in, a, in a desert of information. We don't really understand each other very well. And so bringing out this food and, this, and these sharing these stories, ancient stories, about how people did food um, and re really back some of those traditions.
0: Yes. So for me, uh, in order to understand my work on a deeper level, we all have this question, where do we come from? Why do I do what I do? So when I started writing my first book, I had all these questions in my head. Why am I doing this book? Well, certainly I can write a whole bunch of recipes, but they will have a deeper meaning if I if I can tell the stories behind them. But also, they will have a much deeper meaning if I talk about the region, the country, and, and why it, the food is the way it is. So... I have a natural interest for for culture, for food history, because when you tell a story, when you understand where the food comes from and you're able to tell people about it, people enjoy more. Uh, learning about the food makes the food more meaningful, but also it makes more sense as to why the cultures in that region did what they did,
1: and there is um, often there's a, a natural affinity or reverence for the food.
0: Absolutely, when you understand about about the food, uh, when you can when you can touch it, when you can feel it, you respect it and uh, and you embrace it, and. There's a high affinity uh, for, for Latin American food. Why? Because it's, it's old. Uh, it's ancient. It's nutritious. It's delicious. It's colorful. In some instances, it's spicy. But it's also very interesting in terms of culture and history. So we're down to our last few minutes. Do you want to give a quick f- a favorite
1: easy recipe? Do you have an easy recipe that you like to share?
0: Well, um, I like uh, to eat a lot of vegetables and and make quick foods. Um, I love beets. So one of my favorite foods is uh, beets uh, that I boil in water for anywhere between 30 to 40 minutes, depending on the size of the beets. Like you're cooking potatoes, you test, you want to make sure that they're cooked al dente, you peel them uh, with your hands. I wear gloves and (laughs) the skin skin slides off. Of course, Mm -hmm. you take them to the sink and you let them cool down Um, and then you peel them and then you slice them or you dice them and then uh, you squeeze plenty of lime juice and use uh, either kosher, kosher salt or sea salt, and you let them uh, marinate. You can also add fresh onions to them, mm. and it's heaven on earth. It is an easy, nutritious, uh, low-calorie uh, side dish or salad that you can uh, complement any meal with. Oh, that sounds great! So it is delicious. It sounds, it's one it, of my favorites. And you
1: you you uh,
0: you peel them after you boil them, not before. Correct. Okay. Correct. That's- and you can boil them, but you you can also uh, cook them in uh, the oven. You can wrap them in foil and roast them. You know, mm-hmm. dry. You don't have to add anything to them. Um, and uh, but the traditional method is to uh, boil them in water, like you would cook potatoes, and then you peel them, and then you peel them, and then you slice them, and then you add. What I call the magic ingredients, salt and lime, which is very traditional in Guatemalan cuisine.
1: Awesome! So, tell us again about your um, event on October seventh.
0: Yes, everyone is invited to my uh, book launch event, Amalia's uh, Mesoamerican uh, Table uh, Book, Uh, and and you can find it through my website at AmaliaLLC.com. It's on October seventh from six to eight thirty p.m. It's a big party. It's a big fiesta. It's uh, it's free, but you must yeah. register by October fourth. And I look forward to seeing you there.
1: Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. Hopefully, hopefully, it will be a, a great time. And congratulations on your most uh, your most re- on this recent book. It is absolutely gorgeous. And the mission of um, increasing awareness of international foods um, so essential. Um, and uh, we appreciate your time and appreciate you listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM nine fifty Thank you for having me. Thank you.